The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. Well, if you watched TV this weekend, other than, of course, the Super Bowl, you saw a furious effort by those in the fake news media to completely recharacterize the bombshell revelations of Special Counsel Robert Hur's report on Joe Biden's retention of documents. We saw a number of uh, near hysterical lies by those at MSNBC, CNN, well, all the usual suspects. Here to help me break this down is the editor-in-chief of Rare.us, uh, my co-host, Troy Smith. Roger, it's an honor to be here. And on top of the news of, uh, you know, so much going on with the Super Bowl, it seems like it's almost perfectly timed. You know, we have this report and all of a sudden everybody's watching the Super Bowl, not looking at one of the biggest uh, reports that's ever been released by the Department of Justice. I mean, this thing is just, uh, it confirms everything we've been talking about here on the Stone Zone for a very long time. Uh, it's amazing uh, the way that some in the fake news media can read the report, just as you and I can and then just go out there and purposely misstate what it says. Let me quote directly from Mr. Hur's report. Our investigation uncovered evidence that President Trump willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. These materials included one, marked classified documents with military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, and two, notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security and foreign policy implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. FBI agents recovered these materials from the garage, offices, and basement den of Mr. Biden in Wilmington, Delaware. The report also says that a search of uh, Biden's home, which was conducted without his consent, uh, turned up notebooks uh, that he had uh, of notes that he had shared uh, with a ghostwriter for his book. Now, he received an $8 million advance on that book, so we also have the motive for his retention of illegal documents. But as you know, very strangely, uh, Mr. Hur went on to say, uh, that, quote, uh, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview with him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with poor memory. The report states, uh, Biden, on our direct interactions with him and observations of him, is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him by then, a former president well into his 80s. That's interesting. Uh, they're assuming that if he were charged, he would not be tried by the end of his presidency, yet we seem to be hell-bent to leather to bring Donald Trump to, to a court, to trial before the election. Kind of interesting. Mr. Biden's memory was significantly limited, both during his recorded interviews with the ghostwriter in 2017 and in his interview with the special counsel. Uh, yet you have people like, uh, I don't know, Ari Melber specifically, uh, Rachel Maddow, the odious Molly Jong Fast, who wrote an incredible piece in which she said, Mr. Hur is a Republican. He's not a Republican. Uh, Mr. Hur is a Trump holdover. Well, he's a careerist. Uh, looking at Mr. Hur's background, he previously reported to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, one of the architects of the Russian collusion hoax. Uh, before that, he was uh, he also worked for FBI 
Christopher Ray reporting directly to Ray. He was a law partner of Mr. Ray when he was in private practice. He worked for Rod Rosenstein again when he was the U.S. attorney uh, in Maryland. Uh, he was a law associate uh, of Christopher Ray before that. So this idea that he was is a Republican, let, let's be very clear. He was selected for the special counsel job by none other than Democrat attorney Merrick Garland, who could have chosen anyone uh, for this position. Uh, the fallout here is a pretty extraordinary. Troy, what do you think? Oh, Roger, and I think it's important to point out that Merrick Garland not only has serious ties to Joe Biden, but this is a guy that was nominated to the Supreme Court by President Barack Obama. So he has serious ties to the entire Democrat political um, system, really, the entire group of the leaders of the Democrat Party. So to, uh, to, to say that he would put somebody on an investigation that would be anti-Democrat is pretty absurd, considering he owes his entire career to these people. And I think... It's, it's really troubling, Roger, because going back, Biden's had multiple major brain surgeries, and we're talking about uh, aneurysms. He had, I believe, one in 1988, or it was the late 80s, and he had also one uh, uh, in the, uh, it was around 2012 or 2014, he had a major brain issue. And I think, but even back then, people were questioning, you know, his cognitive ability. They were looking at him and saying, well, this guy was obviously a lot sharper 20 years ago. This guy was obviously even 10 years ago. You see clips of Biden and you can't really even believe it's the same person. Um, and I think we even have video of this. Joe Biden in 2018 even confirmed this, that it was, he said it was okay that people uh, were, were asking about his cognitive ability. And this is 2018. This is before he even uh, won uh, the first election in, in 2020. So it's before he even announced. So, I mean, we're talking about, uh, Roger, something that's been in question for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, when he's president and the Democrat uh, political establishment has more access to the White House than they've ever had, well, then it's not okay to question it. And it's not okay to say any of this stuff. And, and Biden himself in the White House attacked their own special counsel's report about the president. Because, Roger, I think this is the most important part. It's impossible to ignore what Biden's going through. It's impossible to ignore his cognitive decline. And if you do ignore it, you're just doing the bidding of the Democrat Party. There's no other way to put it. I mean, they, they, that is as simple as it boils down to, to to what I see. I mean, can you believe, Roger, that we actually have people on MSNBC that say Biden's fine, he's stronger than ever. I saw Mayorkas just the other day. He was talking about the fact he actually said that he has to prepare to meet with Joe Biden because Biden is so sharp and so so ahead of it. I mean, what what the hell is that? I mean, it's just unbelievable level of deception. Not credible. Let's run that 2018 video. It's it's very telling as to the examples that Biden uses by which he says he should be tested. Let's roll it. Is age a legitimate issue? It is a legitimate issue. Sure it is. And I think people are going to judge it. If I were to run, I think they're going to judge me on my vitality. Can I still run up the steps of Air Force Two? Am I still in good shape? Am I do I have all my faculties? Am I, am I energetic? I think it's totally legitimate people to ask those questions. There you have it. Well, first of all, he can't run up the stairs of Air Force Two or even Air Force One. He keeps falling down. We've seen it with our own eyes. I don't think he did himself much good in his angry press conference, which was obviously very hastily called. First of all, he, he uh, was outraged uh, that uh, the, the special counsel asked him about the death of his son, Bo Biden. This is an issue on which he has dissembled for years. He keeps insisting that Bo Biden, his son, died uh, in the service in Afghanistan. That is not true. Uh, he then went on to say that he has a rosary uh, that he's worn every single day since Bo passed away that was given to him by the Our Lady of uh, that he couldn't remember. That didn't help him either. Then he referred to the president of Egypt as the president of Mexico. Uh, but most of all, it was his anger. He actually thinks, who else could do what I've done, uh, he says. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's right about that. I mean, who else could uh, open our southern border? Who else could destroy a vibrant economy? Uh, who else could uh, foster a fentanyl uh, crisis? Who else could ship 250 billion dollars to Ukraine. The point, of course, is that Joe's an egomaniac uh, and uh, thinks he's doing a great job. He also thinks he's popular. In other words, when 
one reporter called him out. He kept saying, that's not what the press thinks. Well, how does he know what the press thinks? Uh, well, and Roger, is- I'd, I'd like to ask you just real quickly, because you were around for the Reagan years and you saw the media coverage of Reagan saying that he had dementia and things of that nature. Could you talk about the comparison to, to how the media treated Ronald Reagan back then and how they're treating Joe Biden now? Uh, completely like day and night. I mean, uh, first of all, I reject this idea that Reagan uh, had Alzheimer's uh, in his second term. I saw no evidence of it. Reagan uh, was someone who prided himself on his personal performance. Perhaps it was because of his days uh, in show business, but he understood that he was a symbol for the nation and that his public performance had to give the American people confidence in his leadership confidence there was somebody in charge, that he was like a cheerleader for the nation as it went through difficult times. Uh, Yet there was always uh, this snide uh, claim about Reagan's uh, age. Uh, Joe Biden's, uh, up until this time, the media has uh, covered for him. And now uh, they're really trying to rewrite history and trying to completely redefine uh, what the her report, the special counsel's report, really said. Let's look at Rod Rosenstein, Mr. Her's previous supervisor, in an amazing uh, uh, interview on CNN. Another thing that Robert Her wrote about is he distinguished between the Biden case on uh, handling classified documents and the Trump case and noted, uh, now I'm paraphrasing here, but along the lines of Trump's case is much worse uh, because Trump didn't cooperate Uh, and Biden did, and Trump urged people to lie and obstruct justice and destroy evidence, and Biden did not. Uh, Was that appropriate of Robert Hur to to do? I I think so, Jake, and uh, you you identified the controversial elements of the special counsel's report. It's a very long report, 345 pages, and has a lot of information in there, other reasons why uh, prosecution would not be warranted, and one of them is the history and experience of prior presidents and potentially vice presidents as well taking home classified documents. And, and you know, the, the point that Robin anticipated there was people would ask, you know, what distinguishes this case from the allegations against former President Trump? And the answer was uh, that President Biden fully cooperated and turned over the documents. Now, I don't know whether the allegations against President Trump are true or not, but it is a distinguishing factor, and it's perfectly appropriate for prosecutors to consider uh, a suspect's cooperation, a suspect's truthfulness uh, in making a determination about whether prosecution might be warranted. So that's an issue that's covered actually in great detail in the special counsel's report. Tomorrow marks the, marks the deadline for Donald Trump to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to pause the ruling from the D.C. Court of Appeals. The D.C. Court of Appeals, as you know, uh, ruled that he does not get blanket immunity for his actions on January 6th just because he was president at the time. How do you think the U.S. Supreme Court will rule? Should Trump or any former president have blanket immunity from prosecution for acts they they committed while president? You know, my view about this, Jake, I I participated in uh, several investigations of sitting presidents, the Whitewater investigation at the early stages in the 1990s, and and then the Russia investigation. And my view of it was that, uh, you know, we need to conduct thorough investigations, no matter who anybody is in the United States, and then we reach a decision point, and if we decide that it's appropriate to move forward and bring charges, then we have to address that issue, Uh, the issue of whether a sitting president is immune from prosecution. The issue raised in this case, of course, is is what, if any, immunity does a former president uh, receive, and that opinion, of course, the D.C. Circuit has already ruled 3-0 in favor of the government. We'll see whether the Supreme Court takes that case, but uh, it is a relatively novel proposition, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the courts ultimately rule on it. Well, you can always tell when Rod Rosenstein is lying. You know how? Uh, His lips are moving. This is a man who testified under oath to Congress that he actually didn't approve the investigation into me when we have the very document in which he did exactly that. That, of course, would be a material uh, lie under oath, one of many, many (laughs) lies he told. Uh, You'll recall it was Rod Rosenstein who actually wore a wire into a meeting with President Donald Trump in a conspiracy with others to try to entrap Trump for removal under the 25th Amendment. When that story broke, I believe it was in the New York Times, he adamantly denied it, insisted it was a lie, uh, and then only after Trump left office did he admit, well, no, actually it was completely true. So, uh, again... Uh, anyone, and I'm going to do this, does a side-by-side comparison 
of the situation surrounding Joe Biden's retention of documents uh, and Donald Trump's retention of documents. Trump postponed returning to New Jersey so that he could meet with FBI and NARA officials. Uh, he let them look at anything they wanted. They suggested that he put a heavier lock on the closet or the, the facility where the documents were kept. This idea that he didn't cooperate is false. On the other hand, we do know that Biden's, the search of Biden's home, I'm just quoting from the actual her report, was done without his consent. Here's a, a video of Joe Biden. If this doesn't raise you questions about his cognitive, uh, cognitive abilities and the fact that he's slipping, I don't know what will. I, uh, um, anyway, and I don't want to, I don't want to, well, maybe choose my words. I was just thinking, uh, uh, anyway, but I, I just, look, I mean, Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. It was in February, February uh, January, after we elected. The late January, early, early February. He said, uh, it's not, we need, uh, not just, uh, well, I won't go into it. Here's what drives the driver in the states that are affected, here's what that you can do, the drivers. Uh, I, uh, for two reasons. One, to, it's an impact, an impact the decades have been making because inaction was, uh, there was inaction the, uh, with, with, with the Department of, uh, uh, with from from uh, uh, excuse me from Charlotte one uh, another line going from in, in Florida down to Tampa the best way to get something done if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to anyway the idea that um, and 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 Joan. Shengang, I'm going to pronounce Shanga. But uh, there's, you know, there to be, you know, beginning uh, this effort, uh, and uh, and uh, I want you to know that uh, I want to thank you as well for. Uh, but the nature, not. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in uh, put, look. A solid meeting with, um, with uh, the uh, Los Angeles and, uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? From the... Uh, 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 excuse me, they also increase corporate uh, growth. They make a very good point. Here's the deal. 159000000000 billion let. My plan is to make concrete, concrete. I know, I know President, uh, excuse me, the... Um, Meeting, meeting tech companies like Anthropic, and I'm going to mispronounce. I'm not going to even try. The beer brewed here, it is used to make the brew beer. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. By the end of a governing crisis, uh, it's time to end it. these constant because that's why we can't let, well, uh, we cannot let this election be one where the same man who was president four years ago. I'll never forget. I won't go into that. Anyway, I, 
I, I just think that uh, Florida Small Business Winner Award winner, uh, uh, Business Week winner. Now, it has the Evolver Institution. About uh, um, the, the former Prime Minister. Like to take baths up there. Anyway. To overrule that, to uh, reinstate uh, the. Uh 32nd, freestanding, have free, 30 free. I'm just following my orders here. Uh, That actually makes you feel sorry for uh, for old Joe. Uh, folks, uh, stand by because coming not up next, uh, Dr. Chloe Carmichael joins us. She is a clinical psychologist. She has written a brilliant book, uh, which uh, says, entitled Nervous Energy, Harness Your Power of Anxiety. Very anxious to talk to her about that. She's going to be with us momentarily. Uh, in the meantime, I want to point out that uh, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush turned 71 years old yesterday. Uh, therefore, I recommend that folks go get uh, my book, The Bush Crime Family. Uh, this shows, first of all, that I am a bipartisan critic uh, of the Uniparty. Uh, the Bush Crime Family is an epic story of uh, privilege, uh, ambition, uh, drug trafficking, drug dealing, uh, pedophilia, adultery, uh, as well as huge criminal fraud during the SNL crisis. This is the inside story of the Bush crime family. You can get your copy uh, signed by going to stonezone.com, stonezone.com, and by going to the store. Uh, now, you could go buy this epic book, book on the Bush crime family by going to Amazon or by going to Barnes & Noble, but why should you give your money to multinational corporations who hate your guts? By going to StoneZone.com to get your copy of the Bush crime family, uh, you will get an autographed copy uh, and you won't be helping the corporate uh, allies of the deep state. So, folks, once again, uh, the Bush crime family available uh, at StoneZone.com, uh, one of the more popular books that I have written. All right. Uh, I think we have uh, had a pretty good summary of what's going on with Joe Biden. Uh, let's kind of wrap this up uh, before we go to Dr. Carmichael. Uh, it's interesting uh, that uh, the Democratic Party is rushing so aggressively to try to defend Joe, uh, yet uh, CNN uh, and others, uh, I think, uh, recognize they have a gigantic political problem here. As you and I discussed on our Friday show, uh, which has, I think, perhaps the largest number of opens we've ever had, the largest number of views, um, I stick to my prediction uh, that Joe cannot make it, will not make it, that he will roll up the delegates necessary to be nominated but that shortly before the convention, he will announce uh, his intention to, to not to accept the nomination, throw the convention open to work its will. Uh, and yes, I still predict that Michelle Obama will be selected. Troy, put a cap on this and let's go to our guest. Hey, Roger, I think it's important for people to realize that, uh, you know, I got canceled for this. I got taken off of MSN. CNN put me up uh, and told everybody that I was writing AI articles and that the president was fine. And this was used to take away, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities for me. So to see the mainstream media with CNN now coming out and saying, oh, yeah, he actually is senile. Um, it, it just shows you how disingenuous these people are and why you shouldn't listen to them in the first place. Um, all they do on CNN is lie, Roger. You know that well because they happen to be the people that showed up at your house with the FBI, and we all know that story. So it's, uh, it's important for people to realize just how deep the lies of the mainstream media go. I think that's how this all gets uh, summarized here. I think that's an excellent point. All right. Now, joining us now is uh, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. She is a clinical psychologist with a doctorate in clinical psychology, a graduate Phi Beta Kappa from Columbia University, but 
Well, don't hold that against her. She has not let her Ivy League education uh, corrupt uh, her straight thoughts. She has appeared on ABC's Nightline, VH1, Inside Edition, and other major media. Uh, but I invited her on because she's been very vocal on topics like uh, the mental health benefits of free speech, the myth of toxic masculinity. Uh, but I'm particularly interested in her new book, uh, Nervous Energy, Harnessing the Power of Anxiety. As one who suffers from anxiety, I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. Uh, Chloe joins us now in the Stone Zone. Thank you so much, Roger. It's really an honor to be with you. And uh, Troy, I know you just put such a nice cap on the Biden thing, but as a clinical psychologist, I, I just cannot help, you know, myself but, but chime in on that. Obviously, I must say I've, you know, never met him, never assessed him, you know, or treated him or anything like that. But when we're all seeing what we're seeing on video, I just think it's important to also note that people with dementia are at a greater risk of falls, right? So we know, as you can see here, Biden has had so many falls, you know, starting back in 2020 when he fell on a rug and fractured his foot, he fell on a bike, he fell on the stage at the Air Force commencement, he's had more falls, the triple fall at the Air Force One stairs, and that's just one of many falls on the stairs, even just, you know, that we know of. Um, you know, moreover, I can't help but ask myself if the White House is saying that this report is so inaccurate, would they like him to be prosecuted then, right? Since that was the reason mainly that this these charges were not being brought because of this issue. If Biden says it's not an issue, well, then is he saying he wants to proceed? And as a psychologist, I'm also curious why he doesn't. If he cares so much about, you know, the country and putting people to ease, why not take a public cognitive test if it's really such a breeze for him? Let us just watch him, as he likes to say. Um, as a psychologist, I just cannot help but ask those questions. And of course, we also know that dementia does get worse with stress. So, I mean, again, there's a part of me that just has to almost feel sorry and think about elder abuse questions in my mind. Uh Chloe, the, on uh, Friday, a great piece in the New York Post uh, indicated that a number of doctors have come forward and said they think it would be appropriate for the president to take a cognitive abilities test. Donald Trump has actually took a such a test during the last election, I think maybe even more recently than that. Do you think it would be appropriate uh, for him to do so? Yeah, frankly, I do. And, and I really don't understand why he would not because if he really is as with it as he says then of course he would be able to say look i'm i'm not a dummy i can see why people are asking these questions and so of course i'm more than willing to come to, to come forward and do this because you know even in the past week i know you just played this highlight reel of some of his you know quote greatest memory moments but i think even in the past week he's mixed up the names of world leaders on three separate occasions, right? I mean, I, I don't even need to go into the list again, right? So even if there's nothing wrong with his memory, at the very least, he should be able to understand why it's a valid question and be willing to come forward to put the American people's mind at ease, I would think, why not? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I would point out that, um, that Attorney General Garland is not bound by Mr. Hur's recommendations. Uh, he could decide, uh, contrary to Mr. Hur's recommendations, to prosecute uh, President Biden. Uh, the fact that they're trying to scapegoat Merrick Garland for all this is all Garland's fault. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, he appointed uh, what who he thought was a competent prosecutor, and this is what he came up with. Uh, but it, it is uh, reports over the weekend that Biden was furious that Garland has not moved the Trump prosecution faster to make sure Trump goes to trial before the election, tells you everything you know about the prosecutions uh, of Donald Trump. They are politically motivated. They are election interference. Uh, the Democrats now are desperate to change the subject. Um, I, I don't think that that's going to work uh, very well. Uh, let's uh, go into uh, your area of expertise. 
what the hell's going on in in the field of psychology where they're telling us that boys can become girls, that masculinity is toxic, that everybody and their brother has some kind of mental health diagnosis. What's really going on? Yeah, Roger, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of factors at play. Um, unfortunately, I think that there's a medicalization and a monetization of even just, you know, the normal human experience, right? Nobody makes money when people just, you know, go through life and they're strong and they're resilient. The medical field makes more money when people have a diagnosis and they need ongoing treatment and all of these different types of things. So that's one of the reasons why with my book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, I actually talk about anxiety's healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. A person without anxiety wouldn't, you know, think to look both ways before they cross the street. Now, of course, the trick is to make sure that you use that anxiety constructively and you point it at the right target, which my book goes through nine different techniques to do that. But the point is that we don't necessarily have to medicalize or monetize every single aspect of the human condition. And, you know, to your point as well, you know, saying that boys can become girls and girls can become boys. I mean, look, of course, at the at the the price tag associated with those types of what they call gender affirming care. As a psychologist, frankly, I think a better label would be dysphoria colluding care, because that's what it is. Colluding is the term that psychologists use. When you look at somebody's mental illness and then you start reinforcing it, like saying, oh yeah, I see the little green men, they're all over the place. Or you know, saying to the anorexic, yeah, you sure do look heavy. You're colluding with that mental illness. So I don't, you know, to me, the term gender affirming care is, is, is quite strange. But I, I have an even deeper concern, which is that all of it seems to be about diluting something very healthy, which is actually personal responsibility, which is good for people. It's been shown to help their mental health state. And instead, we want to shift everything onto a diagnosis, putting people into a situation of passivity and feeling helpless and like they need treatment. Meanwhile, we're trying to stifle their speech, which, as you know, I'm you know, very riled up about wanting people to know we don't need to worry about, quote, hate speeching, hate speech and bullying as much as we need to worry about stifling free speech, because I believe free speech is very good for mental health, speaking your mind. I'm surprised that psychologists need to actually um, have a refresher in this. But coming from a lot of the literature from psychologists today, it almost seems like they've forgotten this. Uh, Chloe, you're a Columbia graduate. Uh... Were you always like this? So when did you start talking out freely on these topics? Yeah. So, okay. As you said, you know, I, I graduated from Columbia, got a PhD in, you know, social sciences. So uber, uber liberal fields. I was never um, really on board with all of that. I had to kind of smile and nod a lot of the time just to, you know, get through school and, you know, get my dissertation. And then I was very thankful when I was building my business to be getting a lot of great media attention. And I didn't have a, you know, big financial safety net. So I really, you know, needed this media and this business. So I kind of understood that there were just certain things I could and could not say if I wanted the media to keep, you know, being my friend. I never said anything I thought was untrue, but I also made sure to never say anything I knew was going to upset them. That all changed when they tried to mask my then three-year-old. So I'm a mom. I My mama bear got awakened. I have a seven-year-old now, but at the time he was three. You have to excuse me. I might even get a little choked up talking about it. After having him, you know, under this lockdown, as we all were in the Northeast, I've since relocated to the free state of Florida. But we actually moved to Florida because after him being in lockdown for quite some time, the governor then said, and by the way, if he wants to go to any sort of day program, you know, he was getting ready to go to preschool, he'll have to wear a mask and nobody can see his face and vice versa. So as a clinical psychologist, of course, I'm thinking, you know, issues about self-esteem, language development, et cetera. I finally couldn't take it anymore. I wrote all my thoughts from a scientific perspective about why we should not be masking children. 
and I shared it with some colleagues before publishing it because I said, okay, nobody else is seeing this. Am I just missing something? Am I going to embarrass myself, you know, with this? And I got the most interesting response from my colleagues. They said, everything in your article is factually true, but you shouldn't publish it. And I said, why not? They said, because it could discourage people from masking their kids. And I said, well, this obviously makes no sense, right? They're acknowledging that everything in my article is true about how this could harm kids, but they don't want me to acknowledge it because they want people to mask kids, right? So once I published that, um, the floodgates just kind of opened. And that's what inspired me also to realize that free speech is good for mental health. It helps us to, you know, develop our thoughts, to discard ideas, you know, that are not good. It facilitates authentic social support, which we know is good for mental health. Um, I could go on and on about the, the mental health benefits of free speech, but to answer your question, COVID was pretty much when I just said, I, I, I can't take it anymore. Uh, well, what you're doing takes an uh, enormous amount of courage. Troy, do you have a question for Dr. Chloe? Uh, yes, Dr. Chloe, I, I, had a, I read an article that you did in the New York Post that was, and you kind of touched on it there just real quickly about the mental benefits of free speech. And I wanted you to touch on that kind of again, because like, I feel like there's so many people in this world that are kind of like scared and they're in their little box and they don't want to step out of that. But when they do, they experience a benefit in their overall mental health, don't they? Yeah, they definitely do. Okay, so there's there's really three main points in that article in the New York Post about why free speech is good for mental health. So the first one is that free speech promotes learning and growth, right? Evolutionary psychologists have even speculated that part of the reason why the human species developed so to such a sophisticated species is because of our gift of language, that we can rapidly exchange ideas and develop ideas. And we've all, of course, had the experience even of hearing ourselves say something aloud and saying, you know what, as I say, aloud, I realized that just doesn't even make sense, right? So it's it's through verbalizing that we develop good ideas and discard bad ones. As far as also these, you know, safe spaces that people say are so good for our mental health, right? It's again, with free speech, we actually have better safe spaces. It's better for me, for example, as a woman to be around people that you know, think women are not as smart or, you know, whatever the belief may be. I would much rather that they tell me. I would feel much safer knowing how people really feel because words are not violence. That's one of the worst, you know, lies that has been used to squash free speech. And the belief that words are violence is not only incorrect, but it actually increases anxiety and depression, right? If you're walking around thinking, heaven forbid somebody says the wrong thing around me, or heaven forbid I say something that offends someone else, you know, it's 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 as if we're in a in a physical violence situation. And the most obvious proof of that is that for me as a clinical psychologist, I am legally obligated to call the authorities if somebody tells me that they have a plan to physically harm themselves or someone else. I am legally prohibited from divulging anything anyone says to me without their permission. If they just tell me, hey, I really plan to go tell off my neighbor, I'm really gonna say some mean things to them. I would be absolutely out of bounds if I were to go try and you know, call the police about that, right? Moreover, psychologists studies have shown over and over that when we don't express ourselves and assert ourselves directly with people, then we engage in what's called suppression and repression that tends to lead to things like passive aggression, right? So ironically, if I can't discuss my issues, you know, with like a certain group or, you know, certain cultural aspects that I want to talk about, if I can't name them and talk about them, I can become unconscious of them. And then I can start doing what psychologists call acting out where I just suddenly don't want to be around certain groups of people, but I can't really explain why, right? So we have much, much better, fuller, authentic relationships. And we know that there's an, an epidemic of loneliness in this country. And then at the same time, we're telling people, don't really tell people what you really think or else, you know, they, they may unfriend you, so to speak. Um, so the more that we can label our feelings, it's also been shown, in fact, to help slow down amygdala activity. Amygdala is the part of the brain that gets really active when we think, you know, that we're in a life and death situation. 
And when we can start labeling our feelings, it increases our sense of control, it heightens our ability to be rational. All of these things are good for mental health. So for the life of me, I cannot understand why more psychologists are not answering back to this chorus of people that are trying to squash free speech in the name of, quote, hate speech and bullying. Uh, you also wrote a terrific article that I read uh, on Fox News about big tech, government collusion, and groupthink and its dangers. Talk to us about that. Sure. So thank God that Elon Musk took over X, right? Um, because before that, as we all know, there was this unholy alliance between the government and Twitter. And the shadow banning and the censorship was really the worst part of it, right? If, if, if Twitter were open about this or if they were open about what they were doing with the government, it still would have been bad. But the effects upon, I believe, the mental health you know, of, of society would not have been as serious because when we do shadow banning, and secret censorship, it manipulates our reality testing. It manipulates our, our social consensus. It manipulates, it creates a false sense of social consensus where you suddenly think, you know, that you're the only one who thinks boys maybe really can't become girls or something like that. Now, we all remember the Bay of Pigs, and that's actually where the term groupthink was born by a psychologist named Irving Yanis. And he named four main things that that need to be present in order for that groupthink to occur. Groupthink is when you have, of course, a group of people that are making terribly irrational decisions that are just obviously awful, but somehow the group just kind of zombie walks forward into it, like in the Bay of Pigs. And the four conditions are, this is going to sound very familiar, self-censorship, an illusion of group consensus, the presence of stress, just like during this, you know, big tech government thing, they they had this big fear of, of COVID and they people were all freaked out about that. And then finally, number four is a sense of moral superiority. So that's why they label anything that they want to censor as, you know, hate speech or dangerous misinformation. So when we have that self-censorship, the false illusion of group consensus, the presence of stress and that moral superiority, we are prone to groupthink, which again is this, you know, um, I, I think it was Malone who called it, you know, like a, a mass psychosis or something. And with psychosis, of course, the main, the main issue is that you're out of touch with reality. That's, you know, kind of the baseline of, of psychosis in psychology. So um, again, I'm, I'm so thankful to Elon for, for getting X free. I'm so thankful for that. I, uh, I join you in that sentiment. I know Troy does as well. So I want to talk about your new book, Nervous Energy, Harnessing the Power of Your Anxiety, uh, which is a, a, a great sounding idea. Uh, I am one who suffers, as you might expect, from a great deal of anxiety, having been a target of the deep state for many years. And that continues among some of the fake news jackals today. Uh, tell me the concept here, because I would love to channel my anxiety into some more productive uh, process. Well, Roger, frankly, I think you're already the poster child for doing exactly that, right? So the healthy you know, response when we have anxiety is to allow it to stimulate preparation behaviors. When we get anxious, we actually tend to get a little zing of energy from mother nature. We get a little extra adrenaline. That's why people say, oh, my palms are a little sweaty. My, I feel my heart beating. My, my thoughts are moving faster. That's a gift from mother nature that when we detect that there's some kind of a threat or concern, we get more energy to point at that issue and, and to deal with it constructively, Roger. So, you know, I mean, everything that you've been through, um, I imagine that you take that anxiety and you start layering it into, you know, how can I better increase my security, you know, plans or, you know, what kind of legal strategy is that going to fire me up, you know, into doing. And I just think it's really important that, again, that people understand that there's a healthy function to anxiety because of this 
you know, machine that wants to medicalize and monetize and diagnose and, you know, medicate everything. I can't tell you how many people say, oh, I, I have anxiety, as if they think that this isn't just a normal, natural part of the human experience. And then they get anxiety about anxiety. Now, when a person does have anxiety, what's something that's interesting is that their even their physical vision actually gets a little bit more narrow. Their mental vision can get more narrow and even their physical vision. That's kind of a holdover from the caveman days when you might be anxious about a lion and you have to laser focus in on that. So that's why the trick is, and that's why I have nine techniques in my book, because forewarned is forearmed. When we start to know and predict and understand the things in our lives that make us anxious, we can have constructive strategies, kind of like we, we map out a fire drill so we know what to do when the fire alarm goes off. We map out, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work on that strategy plan, you know, when I feel anxious about such and such, or I'm going to, you know, review my notes if I'm anxious about that test so that we don't get stuck with anxiety about anxiety and just, you know, waste that energy. And I would be remiss, Roger, if I didn't say also one of my favorite things to do when I have anxiety is to dance. And I love to dance to you with that Patriot Sweet video. I loved it when I saw that video. I don't know if anyone out there has seen this, but Roger Stone has uh, got a great appearance in the 4G Auto Blow uh, Patriot Sweet music video. It's, it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, well, actually, uh, there's a famous video in which I was dancing with my own daughter uh, on Thanksgiving one year, but somebody said, well, here's Roger Stone dancing on the day of his pardon. Uh, it was um, actually Tone Loke, uh, I think, Funky Soul Medina. I'm not positive, but I would go back and look at that. All right. So, uh, Dr. Chloe, tell people where they can get your terrific book. We'll put the cover it back up for a moment. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, it's at nervousenergybook.com is the easiest way to think about it, nervousenergybook.com. Um, or it's on Amazon, Walmart, Target, you know, everywhere that books are sold. And in fact, it's even been translated now into, you know, Russian, simplified and complex Chinese, Turkish. It's also on audiobook. Um, so if people want to get it, and you know, let me know what you think of it. My, my website, again, is nervousenergybook.com. There's ways to contact through there. I always love to connect with people as a psychologist. All right, nervousenergy.com, folks. Uh, nervousenergybook.com. Nervousenergybook.com, thank you for correcting me. Folks, uh, check it out. Uh, Dr. Chloe, I wanna thank you so much for joining us today in the Stone Zone. It's a pleasure, Roger. Thanks so much. And take care, Troy and Roger. Great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, folks, um, the, uh, the, uh, the efforts at disinformation continue. Uh, here's an incredible video I want you to see of a fellow named Becker who was on Meet the Press yesterday. Uh, Julie Kelly, who's probably the single best researcher on all these matters, called him out. But let's roll that. For those who see this as unequal justice, like how do you respond? Well, I think this week was a really good indication of how the Justice Department acts as independently as it does. We heard earlier that clearly the Biden administration is not happy with the release of the her report mm -hmm. on, on the investigation. And if they really had as much power over the Justice Department as former President Trump alleges, that wouldn't have been released. It clearly was. Mm -hmm. Also, I think ironically, we have to note that one of the four charges against former President Trump in D.C. is interference with the Justice Department. He was alleged to have interfered with the Justice Department, try to get them to investigate an election where everyone agreed there was no fraud and, the, and it was legitimate. And so I think it, again, represents kind of the politicization of this idea that anything that happens against the other side is good, anything that happens against our side is bad. But here we see both President Biden and former Vice President Pence were treated very similarly. And former President Trump was treated differently mainly because he withheld those documents mm -hmm. even when they, he was requested to, and he did not open his doors to the investigators to take a look at them. And you can read the indictments to see the details of specifically the lengths he went there. Wow. It's false. How many lies can you pack into one into one interview? Uh, everybody agreed there was no fraud in the election, Troy. Everybody agreed, <laughs> to my knowledge. Uh, 
uh, I, there's so much there to unpack, but Julie Kelly did a better job, as you said. This guy's just a straight-up liar. Uh, Trump did cooperate with the investigation. Trump, under the 1977 uh, Presidential Records Act, is uh, entitled to uh, hold on to whatever documents he wants. Joe Biden uh, took documents at the time of his vice presidency, and he was uh, a U.S. senator. He had no uh, right to take documents. Uh, He's being treated completely differently. That I, I don't know how many how you can stack so many lies into one little bite. You got an observation? Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing, Roger, because uh, he points out there, and it's kind of also telling. He's like, they wouldn't have released this board it, it report if the Justice Department wasn't politicized, or, or you know, they try to make the point that oh, the Justice Department couldn't be politicized. Biden, they said Biden senile, and and it's just it's so far into the realm of political persecution and like you said election interference that i think uh, a majority of the people that watch that uh probably have this a similar reaction that we do and i think the other half uh, that are watching it that are really just kind of into the liberal narrative kind of are salivating over the idea that they can get trump and really any justification what no matter how ridiculous it is is okay with them because at the end they want trump and they want to attack Trump and any means that they can do that by, they're going to do. They've shown that time and time again, Roger. Okay, final item before we have to go. Uh, the campaign of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. spent $7 million on a Super Bowl ad yesterday. Let's take a quick look at it. want a man for president who's seasoned through and through a man who's old enough to know and young enough to do well it's up to you it's up to you it's strictly up to you american value 2024 is responsible for the content of this advertisement now uh, you know as someone who's a longtime student of politics and obviously written about and uh, and read a great deal about the 1960 election uh, I could appreciate the uh, that ad for its nostalgia. That song was made about President John F. Kennedy. Uh, but I argue that that was uh, an ineffective ad uh, at $7 million because it didn't tell you what what Robert Kennedy stands for, that, that an effective political advertising, no matter how briefly, has to give people a reason to vote for you other than the fact that your last name is Kennedy. Uh, with uh, two minutes to go here. Uh, Troy, what did you think? Well, Roger, I think it's important to note that the people on MSNBC and NBC, they say Robert F. Kennedy is going to hurt them, uh, when in reality the polling shows that he pulls uh, very disproportionately from President Trump um, in a potential uh, bid there. I, I thought the, the ad was kind of, it caught your eye because uh, of, of the nostalgia factor. But like you said, uh, you have $7 million, you have an opportunity to talk to the world, and that's what you come up with. Um, I don't think that that was really the most effective thing they could have run for the money at the time. Uh, I concur, concur with your judgment. All right, we are done for the day. This has been The Stone Zone. On behalf of Roger Stone and my co-host, Troy Smith, the editor-at-large at Rare.us, thank you for joining us today, and we will see you tomorrow at the same time. In the meantime, God bless you, and Godspeed. Thank <laughs> you.